Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Our scripture this morning is the first chapter of the second letter of Paul to Timothy. I'm going to read verses 3 through 7. But before we read, let's pray. Gracious God, apart from your word, there, there is no life for us. So we come hungry. We come eager to hear your wisdom. So we pray as we gather around these ancient words that we would hear the whisper of your truth. We are here, O God. We are listening. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. The Apostle Paul writes this to Timothy. Let's listen. I am grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience as my ancestors did, when I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and now, I am sure, lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. Well, our spiritual grandparents, as we identified them last Sunday, have given us some language to speak to the question, what is the church for? This language they call the great ends of the church or the great purposes of the church. It's old language, and we don't talk like this much anymore, but there's still wisdom here. They said the first great end of the church is the proclamation of the gospel for the salvation of humankind. We talked about that last Sunday and affirmed that this teaches us that we belong to God, not by anything we have done, but by the love of God poured out on us. We belong to God. Our spiritual grandparents have told us that the second great purpose of the church is the shelter, nurture, and spiritual fellowship of the children of God. The shelter, nurture, and spiritual fellowship of the children of God. If the first purpose tells us that we belong to God, I think the second one says that we belong to one another. We talk about that a lot at 
village, and I do so, I'm aware that there's some voices of Christianity that present our faith as primarily about the inner life. That Christianity is about peace of mind, it's about joy in the dark of night, it's about hope, and that's exactly right. But that's not the end of it. Any casual glance at the ministry of Jesus shows us that faith is about creating these conditions in us that they may influence how we encounter the world, that they may influence how we encounter others. Christian faith is ultimately not just about my interior life, but about my relationships, how we are with others, all others. And I think that's what this second great end points to. It says the church should pay attention to spiritual friendship. I want to say two things about this. The first I want to say is when we get it right, when we get it right, we affirm that no one is alone. You're not alone. Paul writes Timothy and I bring this text to us pretty regularly, about once a year. I, I want it to be one we rehearse again and again. I want it to be one you're familiar with because I think Paul is being a wonderful pastor in this passage. Timothy is having some kind of crisis of faith. We don't know the details of it, but some kind of faith crisis. Paul speaks of his tears. Paul encourages him to rekindle his faith. I was talking with my friend, Reverend Jessica Tate, this week, and she said, to live in the world as a follower of Christ means we feel like we're swimming upstream all the time. That the life of Christ and the ways of the culture at large are at odds enough of the time that any effort to be faithful to the teaching of Jesus means we're going to find ourselves swimming upstream all the time, and it's just exhausting. So who wouldn't have a crisis of faith every now and then? Whatever the specifics of Timothy's crisis were, it doesn't take much imagination to relate to it because faith is hard. So Paul... Paul says, I see you, Timothy. I see your struggle. And Paul writes to remind him, Timothy, you're not alone. Look around. Remember your grandmother. What a strong faith your grandmother had. Remember your mother. She's the one who loved you into the faith. Lean on these strong women, Timothy. You're not alone, but not only them, Timothy. You got me. Paul references the gift of his laying his hand on him. We don't know if that's baptism or ordination, but Paul is saying, don't forget me. I know I'm, I know I'm not in your zip code, but, but I'm with you, and I'm in your corner. You are not alone. He is part of the children of God. Paul is practicing the spiritual friendship that this great end exhorts. When we get it right, we remind each other that we're not alone. And feeling alone is not inconsequential. It was 1988 
1988, I traveled to Chile and Argentina with a small group of Presbyterians. We had gone to witness the work of the mission work of our denomination in the southern cone of Latin America. You know, some travel places like this and see how people live, and it gives them a sense of gratitude for the life that we have here. Others go and see how people live, and it gives them a sense of responsibility, and that was the case with those I was traveling with. It was humbling. One particular morning, we were supposed to go to a particular Presbyterian church. It was in a pretty impoverished neighborhood. Most days, we traveled all together in one van, uh, but this day the van wasn't available, and so we took taxis. We were in Santiago, Chile, and we took taxis. We couldn't all get in the same taxi. I ended up in a taxi with one of, our, uh, one of the other travelers. His name was Mark. We didn't really realize um, when we jumped in together that a lot of folks in our group spoke Spanish. Mark and I, zero. You could barely squeeze an hola out of the two of us. Our group leader told the taxi driver, here's where we're going, and he took off. But there was some confusion in their conversation that we didn't realize until after the taxi driver kicked us out. And we were not at this Presbyterian church. We didn't know where we were. We were just in the middle of downtown Santiago, people all around. We tried to ask, do you know where this church is? Do you know where this church is? People looked empathetic, but they didn't understand us. We didn't understand them. I began to get a little anxious. I wasn't sure how we were going to get home. And then, more than, more than anything else, what I felt was alone. It was odd. There were people all around, talking the speed of light. But I felt absolutely alone. And then above the den, I heard... Y'all need directions? <laughs> Y'all? The voice of angels. <laughs> Turned out as a guy's native of Santiago, but he had gone to college at the University of Tennessee where he had learned the essentials. And all of a sudden, just one little y'all, I didn't feel so alone anymore. We live in a lonely culture. There's studies about it. There are studies about the impact of loneliness on mental health, the impact of loneliness on physical health. It is a problem for us. But one of the things that you, Village Church, do very well is you remind one another you're not alone. We remember today that ministry of Ruthie Klein and Jane Abelgard and Sue Meredith. They, for over 20 years, have shepherded telecare. They've, they've looked over a sea of volunteers, and they've, they've sheepdogged our pastors to make sure that we stay up and stay in contact with those who aren't able to be in contact with us. It's intentional, and it's organized, and it's disciplined because it's important to remind folks that they're not alone. And it's not just a call to check in, but it's a practical way of saying we are the children of God together. And so we're calling to remind you you're not alone. That work has always been important. 
But you get what I say, it has never been more important than it has the last year and a half. I think the shelter, nurture, and spiritual fellowship of the children of God means the church reminds again and again, you're not alone. But there's a second point of this, I think, that I don't want us to miss. The spiritual fellowship, the spiritual friendship, it's not just for our connection with one another, as vital and valuable as that is in and of itself. But our spiritual friendship has a loftier purpose. Reverend Joe Small, he worked in the theology office of our denomination for over 20 years, and Joe's thought a lot about these great ends and written a little book about them. And Joe said that the purpose of the church is to nourish spiritual maturity. To nourish spiritual maturity. That makes a lot of sense to me. If we were to read this letter from Paul all the way to the end, we would find that Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, I see you. I know your tears. But I need you to look around. I need you to see the folks who are in your corner. Because, Timothy, not only do you have us, but, Timothy, I need you. The apostle says this. He says, I am in prison, and I don't know how much longer I'm going to make it. And before I go, I need to see you, Timothy. It is a summons to spiritual maturity, I think. And it's worth thinking about because it seems to me that COVID has just about squeezed all the maturity out of almost everyone. And we need some grown-ups. But what does spiritual maturity actually look like? Let me give you this image. I wonder if spiritual maturity is when we live in the world like we know we're not alone. To live in the world like we know we're not alone, like we know we belong to God, but also that we belong to each other, that, that we're not the center of everything. And that sounds silly to say that, but it's tempting because the truth is every experience in our lives, every moment of our lives, we live with ourselves at the center of it. It's the only way we exist. Everything revolves around us. We see the world with our own eyes. We, we are always in the center of things, and it's tempting to assume that experience is truth. But maturity recognizes the neighbor matters. It's an act of decentering ourselves a little bit and to recognize the value of another. And we've kind of been talking about that some this week. I don't know if you've noticed. What, what you have noticed is we've been reliving the pain of 20 years ago. For me, I was in a staff meeting at church, and Jenny, a member of our staff, she 
She walked in and she said, we need to pray. A plane has just crashed into the World Trade Center. If you're old enough to remember that day, you remember where you were. One of the things we have been remembering is the pain of that day. But we've also, did you notice, we've also been remembering the heroism of that day. Ordinary men and women, mostly of the New York Fire Department, but also the police force that ran not from the trouble but into the trouble because there were folks in there who matter. There were folks in there that needed help, and they sacrificed for the good of the neighbor. They decentered themselves to see the value of the other, and we saw it as heroic, and it was. But they lived, at least in these moments, like we're all in this together. And I'm grateful we've been remembering them, for they should never be forgotten. But we need to do more than just remember them. We need to be a little like them. I'm not saying heroes, but I am saying we need to be a people who decenter ourselves enough to see the value of the neighbor. To see the other as one who belongs to God and therefore we belong to one another because what we know is that every day there is a crisis where we need to see the value of one another. We're in the midst of a public health crisis that has taken over 200 times the World Trade Center tower. We're in a public health crisis. And, and some folks, some folks talk about it as if what's really at stake is my capacity to choose to live my life the way I want, even if that puts my neighbor at risk. That lacks some maturity, it seems to me. Because what we all should be asking all the time is how can I live today in a way that demonstrates love for the neighbor, known and unknown, that takes some decentering of ourselves, but it recognizes that we belong to one another. And I'm not pointing fingers at anybody because, look, spiritual maturity is not a place that we arrive. It's a journey toward which we are always journeying. And I got a lesson in my own lack of spiritual maturity from a surprising person. I, uh, you know, before we came to you at Village, I served a church in Jacksonville, Florida, and that that gothic sanctuary sat just across the street from a public park that was beautiful, but it was also a park in which many of the homeless in Jacksonville lived. And the parking lot for the church staff was also across the street next to this park. And so it was not uncommon when I'd get out of my car and I would walk toward the church, somebody from the park would come and find me and ask if I had some change or could I buy him a cup of coffee or there's a 
fast food joint there. Could I get him a sandwich? Well, one morning I left my study and I walked down to my favorite coffee shop. It was just half a block away. And a guy from the park saw me and started following. And when I got to the coffee shop, he said, could I come in there with you? And I knew what he, he wanted a cup of coffee, maybe a muffin or something. And I said, sure, come on in. So I ordered my coffee and I told the server, look, I'll, I'll, I'll pay also for whatever whatever my friend here wants to order. And he said, I, I just, I'd just like a glass of water, a cup of water. And then he put some money on the counter and he said, but I, I would like to buy this man's coffee. I said, I'm sorry? He said, if it's all right, I'd like to buy your coffee. I said, what? why are you buying my coffee? He said, well, I see you walk from the church. You drink a lot of it. <laughs> I said, yeah, but why are you buying my coffee? He says, you're the pastor of that church there, aren't you? And I said, I am. And he said, you've got a great choir. I said, yeah, we do. He said, I used to sing in the choir when I was in college. I said, you were in, you were in college? He said, yeah, until, until my mom got sick and I had to drop out. But I love the music. And, and your custodian, Michael, do you know Michael? He said, I said, yeah, I know, I know Michael. He said, well, he lets me in the back of the sanctuary on the nights that they rehearse, and he lets me go up in the balcony. I just lie down on the back pew. And Reverend, it's the best hour of my week. For an hour, I'm just surrounded by the beauty of those singers. And, and so I just wanted to buy you a cup of coffee and ask you if you would thank them for me. Would you just tell them that they're the best part of my week. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, what's your name? He said, my name is Gabriel. G Gabriel, your name is Gabriel? He said, yeah, it's a name from the Bible. I said, I, I know, I know it's from the Bible. It's an angel from the Bible. He said, my mom liked it. I said, Gabriel, would, would you like to sing with our choir? You could, you could sing with our choir. He said, oh, no, 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 I, I can't sing anymore. But if you would, just tell them how much I love the music. Tell them that anthem they did by Rudder last week is my favorite. And they did a masterful job. Enjoy your coffee, Gabriel said and slipped away. Now, I walked into that Starbucks pretty convinced that I was going to do a decent thing. I wasn't changing the world. I hoped it wasn't the most important thing I did that week, but I, 
I was going to see somebody who spends most of his day being invisible. I, I was going to give a guy who needed a little something, a cup of coffee or a muffin. I was going to do a decent thing. But I'm ashamed to admit that what never crossed my mind is that Gabriel and I belong to each other in any way. I just didn't think about it until until he made it impossible to miss. And maybe if I ever grow up, it'll be the first thing I think about with everybody I encounter. Maybe. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.